I'm going to now invite our speaker to come up. And we're blessed today to have Michael Trainer come and speak with us this morning. Nice one. Um, can I say a prayer for you, Michael? Father God, I thank you for Michael. I thank you for his heart for you. And I thank you for the word that you have given him today. Will you open our ears and our hearts to receive all that you have for us? In your name, amen. Amen. Ooh. Good, mor good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, two congratulations. Number one, congratulations. You made it with one less hour sleep. Incredible. Good job. And also uh, in the rain. Really well done. I'm very impressed. I'm just going to open up this thing and get started. So, hi, I'm Michael. If you've not seen me before, uh, I'm part of the team here at SPS. <laughs> Something we say a lot. Uh, I've been working for St. Paul Shadow for the last four and a half years, and I am the facilities manager currently. I also lead on the SPS Active Gym Project outreach type thing. It's very fun. And I'm really excited and honored to have the opportunity to land our recent preaching series, which is called Tell, all about telling people about Jesus, which is pretty awesome. So we've been journeying through and we've had a series of amazing talks. And if you want to catch up with them, I really recommend the new SPS podcast with, the, with this preaching series on it. I listened to them all again this week in preparation and they are excellent. So yeah, we have been journeying through this, uh, this, this series, which Philippa said is about exploring what it looks like to be a family of people who are excited to tell others about the good news of Jesus, whilst remembering that we're part of God's story, uh, and that God's mission in the world is already in motion, and that we get to join in with it. So this week, we're going to look together at, the jour at two journey stories in the Bible, uh, one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus and one of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. So road stories. We've got a couple of longer narrative scriptures, okay? So to save your interest and to not have you listen to me too much, I'm going to invite Natasha, my wonderful wife, and Mark, our wonderful, come on up. Yeah, oh, both of you, absolutely, associate here. And um, is there another microphone? No, I've got it. Someone's got it. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background about these scriptures, and then they're going to read them out, which is going to be fantastic. So it's in Luke 24, 13 to 35, the first reading, and it's uh, Jesus um, appearing on the road to Emmaus to two disciples as they travel. And um, just to give you some background, Jesus' ministry has concluded with his arrest, crucifixion, death, burial. And then Luke says that on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, uh, the women, which according to Luke was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others, went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. They go inside. Jesus is not there. Okay, this will be familiar. Um, and then suddenly two men appear with their clothes gleaming like lightning and they stand beside them. The women in fright lower their faces and the men say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The women return to the eleven apostles, and they tell them everything that happened, and the apostles don't believe them. Okay? They say, Luke says, it seemed to them like nonsense, uh, which is good. 
And then Peter goes away, runs to the tomb. He sees the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he goes away wondering what happened. And this is where Natasha picks up the story on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? This is how I imagine Jesus talking. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked with, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the, two told, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Thank you, thank you. Amazing. So I'm going to pick up uh, just from there the story. Jesus continues to appear to a number of people, uh, including at one time, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 6, 500 at once. The disciples, uh, Jesus ascends into heaven, promising to send the Holy Spirit. The disciples wait for the Holy Spirit, which comes at Pentecost, and it descends on them like tongues of fire. They uh, go out into the crowds, and they preach, and the people that hear, uh, hear them in their own language, despite the fact that they're from all over. Peter preaches, and 3,000 are added to their number that day. The church is born. Very exciting. But almost immediately, the persecution also begins. And the first few chapters of Acts really are this kind of juxtaposition between talking about how the early church is formed and what it looks like and, and the culture there, but also showing how they were persecuted and the trials that they suffered. The increased persecution and the martyrdom of Stephen leads pretty much every disciple except for the 11 apostles to leave Jerusalem and to go out into Judea and Samaria. It says in Acts 8.3 that Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. 
So as the disciples go out into Judea and Samaria, Saul also goes out into Judea and Samaria with a letter from the high priest so that he can basically pursue these early followers of Jesus and try to persecute them and have them arrested. And that is where Mark Bishop is going to pick up and read from Acts 9, 1 to 9. If you're reading along, it's also going to be on the screens. Thank yeah, you. great. Uh, <clears throat> Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Thank you so much. Well, lots of morning. Ooh, there we go. Um, and thank you for journeying with it. It's, but it's compelling and exciting and rich, and there's so much we can draw from with these scriptures. Um, and we're talking about journey today. Uh, we're talking about the differences between our journeys, the things that we can learn from them, things we can learn from these journeys. Um, but as I often do, I've got really three points to share with you. Um, and I've compiled these three points into one sentence so that we can hopefully take something away. And that is that we are called, we all people are called to have a lifelong transformative journey which is heavenward towards Christ Jesus. A lifelong transformative journey which is heavenward towards Christ Jesus. So, we're going to look at what we can learn for ourselves from these scriptures. And also, I want to give you some practical takeaways, maybe some challenges, maybe some encouragements, as we finish this tell season about how we tell others about this lifelong transformative journey heavenwards to Christ Jesus. So number one, lifelong. As I said, these scriptures are super rich, but they are short chapters of a much longer story, aren't they? It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of church, but it's also the story of these people. It's the story of the disciples. It's the story of Saul, who became Paul. These stories at most, in Paul's case, represent a few days over an entire lifetime journey with God. Prior to this moment in the story for the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they, we don't know exactly who they are. We know one is Cleopas. There are many thoughts about who the other one might be. But they, at some point, were drawn in to Jesus' teaching. They either saw a miracle or they heard him teach. And it's very likely that they are part of the 72 disciples that were sent out in Luke's chapter 10. Those are the disciples that were told the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Those are the disciples that were said, that Jesus said, go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. And they were told not to take purses or bags or sandals and to not greet anyone on the road. Those same disciples that came back and reported to Jesus with joy 
They said, even the demons submit to us in your name. They journey with Jesus through his ministry, arrest, crucifixion, and death. But these are also the disciples who currently are heading back home to Emmaus, confused and thinking that they backed the wrong horse. An entire journey with God, with highs and challenges and lows. And this is a snapshot. It's a lifelong journey. And Paul is a lifelong journey. We know that Paul, when he was Saul, was a Pharisee. In Philippians 3, 4 to 6, he says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He spent his whole life pursuing God. It's a journey. And after this moment, he traveled more than 10,000 miles, planted 14 churches, laid the foundation of the Christian movement. He also summarizes this great section, which I won't read out in 2 Corinthians. You'll be familiar with it, 2 Corinthians 11, where he enumerates the trials that he faces, you know, the lashings, the beatings, the stonings, the shipwreck, the danger from every side, the labor, the sleeplessness, the hunger, the thirst, the cold. But he also says later in that book, he's learned the secret to be content in every circumstance following Jesus. So what can we learn about the fact that these are just small chapters in a lifelong journey with God? Well, not every part of our journey is a blinding light moment, okay? Not every part of our journey is a voice from heaven kind of moment like Paul experiences here. A lot of our journey will be the obedient day by day walking with God in prayer, in scripture, in worship, working out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's okay because it's a lifelong journey. Or maybe actually you're sitting there thinking, of course I know that. I almost never have those blinding light voice from heaven moments. And be encouraged because it's a lifelong journey with different chapters. And just because you've been traveling with God for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, six months, who knows? It doesn't mean that the future doesn't hold those paradigm-shifting, transforming, blinding light, voice from heaven moments. God wants to do immeasurably more than we can hope or imagine in our lives. He has more for us, and that's exciting. That's really encouraging to me, anyway. But also, it's important to remember that if the journey feels hard right now, be encouraged because this is a chapter in a longer journey with God and He is with you through the hard times. Maybe the journey feels easy right now. Be challenged, be convicted to press into God because we know in James it says that we will face trials of many kinds. So we need to take heart and press on towards God. So what's the practical takeaway if we're thinking about this lifelong nature of our journey and telling others about it? Well, we might be called, like the disciples on the Emmaus Road, to journey with a person for our entire lives. And not, not someone in your family, not necessarily your spouse, those two, but just a person who's in our life. We might be called to spend our entire lives partnering with somebody and journeying through them. Are we prepared to do that? Because that's a bit scary to me sometimes. 
that's a bit challenging. And I feel convicted, actually, that the person that I probably have done the most journeying with and discipling with, I haven't spoken to in a long time. <laughs> okay, I haven't actually uh, called them up or messaged them. So I'm, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, I'm speaking to you this morning, uh, conf- con- convicted myself to go away today and to contact that person. But also, you might not be called in this season to be walking along with someone their entire life. You might just be having little snapshots of conversations. You might be having these short interactions. And we can be encouraged and challenged by that too because those short things can be transformative, just like Paul. As we show Jesus to other people or tell people about Jesus, that can be their shining light voice from heaven moment. So the two takeaways. Who might you be being called to journey with through an extended period of time like the disciples on the road to Emmaus? They were sent, they were part of the 72 who were paired up and sent out to the harvest. Who might be that person? Pray. Ask God to reveal. Or speak to them some more. Or pray for them some more, or pray with them, or take that relationship to the next step. Or, and be encouraged and challenged that those small conversations you have with people can be eternally significant. And that's incredible. So, a lifelong journey. Don't worry, the points get quicker as we go. Transformative. So we've already touched on the, uh, so yeah, like I say, lifelong transformative journey heavenward in Christ Jesus. So transformative, as we've already touched and seen in these scriptures, and you know, it's pretty obvious in the ways in which they're transformative. You know, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they go from that moment and they become, you know, part of the early church movement. It opens their minds to scriptures. Jesus works with them and travels with them. But also don't forget that this is literally a 180-degree physical and practical transformation. They are leaving to go away from Jerusalem. They think that it's over. They think that Jesus wasn't actually the Messiah, and they got it all wrong when Jesus appears to them and explains the Scripture and explains the prophecy and breaks bread with them, and their eyes are opened, and they literally turn around. They go back to Jerusalem. They tell the apostles what happened, and then they wait there for the Holy Spirit. They're transformed in every way. Paul's experience, transformative, so transformative that it changes his name, his job, his identity. Nothing remains the same. The circumstances, though, of these two transformations can feel quite different, can't they? One is a conversation, a walking, it's quite calm. One is blinding light, a huge voice from heaven, but ultimately they are actually the same, okay? Even though they express themselves different, the thing which fundamentally changes them is that this is the moment that these people realize that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the moment that their faith begins in Jesus who died and was raised again for them. And it's only Jesus that can allow us to be transformed, It's only Jesus' story that we need to tell others, okay? So, transformative. 
And how does that impact us? Well, I think we need to be able to say what Jesus did. We need to be able to say what Jesus taught. But we also often find that the most practical and appealing thing that we can tell people about Jesus is what he's done in our lives. Okay, that's the most relatable. And it also, it shows the power of Jesus like these instances did. So I'm going to try and tell you a very quick story. Um, when I was about 12, my youth group used to travel from Scotland all the way down to Soul Survivor in two minibuses. It took about nine hours. It was super long um, in all the ways that that word means. We were camping together in a big, a big pitch, and one tent appeared on the edge of our camping area one day. Uh, it was a couple of days into the trip, and it was anomalous because we were meant to be the only people there. And there was this young boy, maybe about my age, I was about 11, 12, uh, and he would get his inflatable mattress out of his tent, he'd put it on the ground, and he'd sit there basically all day, looking very deflated and sad. And I was challenged, I was convicted to speak to him and see what was up. Uh, it took me about two days to listen to that conviction at the time, um, but I did eventually, and to my horror, not because I'm xenophobic, he spoke only French. My horror because I didn't speak French. Um, I love the French. I just don't speak French. Um, and yeah, so I was, I'd done about six months of basic first year of high school French at that point. And I was like, I've got this. Je m'appelle Michael. <laughs> um, and somehow, an hour and a half later, I had learned that this boy was on holiday with his uncle who was leaving in the morning to walk seven miles to a local pub, stay there all day, and then come back in the evening. He didn't have a ticket to go to the main event. He was only had a camping ticket, so he was just stuck there. And his family were back in France, and they didn't know what was going on. His uncle lived in England. And uh, he was just really, really sad and really homesick and just felt completely helpless. And we were able to get some money together so he could phone his parents and we were able to tell the organizers of the conference his situation. And that happened all in French, which I didn't speak. It was incredible. It was one of those moments for me which was the blinding light, the voice from heaven. And, and it, it transformed my walk with God. I was like, okay, okay, this is for real. This is, this is serious business. One other quick story. Let me just set a time. I'm okay. Um, when I was about 14 or 15, uh, I was very, well, my whole life I've had anxiety challenges. And um, when I was about 14 or 15, where I'm from in Scotland, by the way, that's where my accent's from, uh, there was this, these benches in the middle of our town and a massive big horse chestnut tree, a conquer tree. And it was like the place to congregate. Uh, and I'm from quite a small town, and it's the kind of location that you can't really go anywhere without passing. Um, that's how small my town is. It's still there, if anyone wants to go see. Um, and I remember uh, being so anxious that this, these benches and this tree was full of my peers that I physically found myself like changing the way that I walk because I was so anxious to approach this, this area. So I'd start to like stumble and like just like feel like my legs were stuck to the ground. Um, and a few times I literally fell on my face because I was so anxious 
to pass this place because I would, thought, oh, they're, they, they're thinking about me, they're talking about me, they're judging what I'm wearing, they're judging who I am, like these are the cool guys and I'm not the cool guy. And it was really debilitating for a long time, this anxiety that I'd feel, and this was one expression of it. And, hey, look, look at me now. Um, I'm on stage, well, stage, I'm here up front in church, speaking to you, and it's wonderful to do so. Thank you for, for allowing me. Um, you know, I've, I've performed uh, musically as part of a band. I've performed as a circus acrobat. That's part of my background in front of large crowds. I've been in ministry for churches the last 16 years, so this is not my first time I've been up in front of people. And that's because of God, because of Jesus. And you can say, well, you've just gotten older, and, you know, you got over it. No, no. I did not get over it. Even in my early 20s, I was still struggling so badly with anxiety. This, I could never have done this. I could barely walk into a room with more than two people in it, okay? But I prayed. I journeyed through the scriptures going through identity in Christ material, understanding who I am according to Jesus. I gave it over to God day in, day out. I walked patiently, God, God being the patient one, <laughs> I walked slowly with God, praying, assimilating the scriptures into my heart, allowing people to speak into my life. So, and here we are. Those are the two things. That's my, one of my blinding light moments, and also one of my just slowly walking with God moments. And then my encouragement for you, or my challenge for you is twofold. Number one, write these things down. Because you forget, it sounds crazy to say this, but you forget how far God brings you and how much you've been transformed. It's easy to uh, forget those things for small, lots of small incremental changes to make a huge change over time, but you have to forget as a facilities manager here at SPS. <laughs> we have to get permission to do anything. If we wanted to paint the door, permission. And I don't just mean hey, can we paint the door, please? Oh, no, 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 no. It's paperwork, it's reports, it's impact statements, it's everything else. And it's because a hundred tiny changes in a church like this over 250 years makes a big difference. It completely changes the nature of the church. I, I'm a big fan of faculty permissions. Um, and it's the same with us. Lots of small changes over time make a huge difference to us. Write them down. Go home right now. Leave. No, just kidding. But when you go home, pray about it. Ask God to rem remind you and reveal to you the things that he's done in your heart and in your life. And write them down so you can share them. Because that's the stuff that we want to tell other people. The impact that Jesus has had on our lives. The transformative impact that Jesus has had in our lives. Second challenge, and we are getting close to the end, is to read the gospel. When was the last time you read the gospel? Hands up if it was this week. Ah, oh, nice. The whole way through? Hands went down. Hands went down. Not trying to, I mean, I didn't either. Okay. I'm not trying to shame anybody. Um, we want to tell people about Jesus. And we know the story of Jesus, right? Most of us. Some of you are not Christians here. See me afterwards. Um, 
we'll get that sorted. Uh, just kidding. But not really. So, but a lot of you know the story of Jesus. But how often do we really assimilate it into us so that in the heat of the moment, we could represent accurately what God wants us to say about Jesus? How, how easily could we teach what he taught, say what he said? How easily could we encourage people with his words or with his story? Uh, so yeah, this week, I want you to write down the stuff that God's done in your life, and I want you to read a gospel all the way through. That's your challenge. And if you do that, I'll give you a prize next week. <laughs> Don't know. Better bring some chocolate. So, we are called to have a lifelong transformative journey heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the last point, uh, heavenward, and it's the shortest one. Paul famously writes in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, Now, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. As you think about and pray about taking away some of these practical things, being writing down the important aspects of your journey, being ready to share them, reading the gospel, being ready to share about Jesus, remembering the impact that you can have in a short amount of time on a person's life, praying whether God wants you to journey with someone for a longer period of time, pressing in to God in times of challenge, rejoicing and pressing in in times of ease. Remember that we don't do any of these things because we're trying to create a cool holy club. We don't do any of these things because we're trying to get numbers in through the door. We don't do any of these things because deep down I'm actually really nervous that I'm wrong about Jesus and I want to try and convince other people to believe it too so I feel better about the thing that I believe because there's more people that believe it, it can't be wrong, right? That's not the reason. It's not the reason. We believe and we want these things because we believe that we're called heavenward. We believe that we are bringing people back into right relationship with the God who made them and loves them through what Jesus did on the cross and resurrection. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith and that we one day will fully know God even as we are fully known by God. We're in the business of loving people and wanting them to experience that John 10, 10 abundant life that God promises. So we're called to this lifelong transformative journey, heavenward in Christ Jesus, and we are called to tell others about it too, because God made us. He made you, and He loves you, and He wants to release you to live a life of that original purpose and belonging. Amen. Well, thanks. That was a well-timed amen because I'm going to pray as the worship team join us again to lead us in response.
Lord, we just thank you that your word promises in Isaiah 55, that your word never returns to you void, but it accomplishes the purpose that it's set forth to do. I just pray that anything that I've shared this morning will challenge or uh, encourage only if it's of you. But we also pray those words of Isaiah 55 over all that will be shared by this incredible congregation here at SBS. We thank you that you have transformed lives. We thank you that you are journeying with us our entire lives, that you promise never to leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you that that journey is heavenward in Christ Jesus. We just pray that we'd be able to share well and boldly and confidently. We pray that we would be able to uh, bless others by making Jesus' name known. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Yeah, quick swap. Yeah, I just had a picture. Um, so I just wonder if we just stay in this place of prayer just before we sing. But I want to invite you to stand if you're comfortable to do that anyway, just to kind of get your uh, body into a different posture. I, I, as Michael was speaking, I really felt for um, saw this picture that suddenly the room was like packed uh, because each of us were like a small iceberg in the room. And I felt like so much of what Michael's saying was for us, allowing us to realize that sometimes on a Sunday, what we see, uh, well, nearly always on a Sunday, what we see is not the whole story of our lives. And yet when we allow God into that deep, under the surface stuff, uh, we are realizing and able to realize afresh the lifelong transformative heavenward journey that we are on so would we just take a moment i don't know what the under the surface iceberg is for you i imagine there is some really serious stuff in there that has been very difficult maybe it has like michael shared so powerfully made you stumble and fall under the weight of it Holy Spirit, would you come and remind us of your presence here with us now, but in our past and going into our future. For so many of us, I feel like God, our Father, Abba, wants to remind you that he has picked you up and will pick you up time and time and time again. So as we sing together, I just encourage you to receive more of what God has for you. That will be healing and deliverance. It will be salvation. Your life is of such value to God. And your transformation is absolutely what he is after. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus.